talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk. With Eric Miley. Hello, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here, and I'm joined by Adam Marr. Adam, will you introduce yourself to the folks here? Yes. Hi, people. So I'm Adam Marr. I'm a sex positive therapist out of Austin, Texas. My specialties include folks in the LGBTQ plus community, because I'm in that community, and we definitely have a special way of working with our relationships and sexuality. Absolutely. I work with alternative sexuality a lot, so kinks and fetishes. And then folks who are more than monogamous, people who were like, you know, monogamy is not necessarily for me, but I don't know how to navigate or negotiate this with other folks. Yes. I'm so glad you're here. There's more of us out here. <laughs> there, there are a lot of us. <laughs> There's so much work out here. There's so much, so many folks that are looking for therapists that are like you and myself that do this kind of work. I can't tell you how many times someone comes in and I'm all like, oh, is that an SRI, a sexually related injury, right? Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, great. So you're not self-harming. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Good Good to know. (laughs) Thank you. I needed to know that. I appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) And to be able to say that and have that be talked about and see a client's like smile grow, that it's okay to come in and show up and be like, yes, I did have sex and it was kinky and all the things I wanted it to be and not be tossed out of my office is really lovely for them. (laughs) Or not have the therapist be afraid by being able to talk about that. And this is not to shame other therapists. I wanted Adam to come on because I want other therapists to know that this work is super rewarding. And two, that reducing shame around sex is an imperative that we have in our field. I'm telling you, Erica, so I'm going to keep it real. We're going to go deep real quick. I'm ready. I learned to come out and accept myself in therapy. So like sex therapy is super important because if it was not here, I would not exist. Yes. My first exposure to what would even look like sex therapy was, I don't know if you ever saw that show, Talk Sex with Sue Johansson on the Oxygen Network. Like she was my girl, like at at like 14. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that is the coolest job I've ever seen. And essentially we do a lot of that every day. Yeah. So let's get started. Let's just jump right into the deep end. Let's talk identity. I I really want to talk about how folks start to explore their gender identities, their sexual identities. How do we explain the difference between yeah. gender identity and sexual orientation? We're going we're gonna to just jump right in. So Adam, what do you think? What do you think yes. people should start? This is like a talk I'd give a lot. So by the age of like three or four, we already know what our expectations around gender are in our culture. Probably in the womb. You know, people touch bellies and like they expect like blue or pink. And our our sexuality doesn't really come around until a little bit later in life. So like us like realizing, and usually for most folks, it's like, oh, I want to hold that person's hand. I want them to really think I'm cool. And that usually doesn't come until a little bit further into childhood. So when we talk about like gender, there's a big difference between gender and sexuality. So gender, like you're born And based off your perceived sex, so a doctor looks at you and says, oh, that person has a vulva or that person has a penis and therefore they are male or female. And that is it. And, you know, what's unfortunate about that one is that doesn't take into account like intersex folks. So those folks are oftentimes like forced into a gender 
and sometimes have surgery that is not medically needed, which just creates a whole host of problems. And causes them sexual issues <laughs> down the road. Yeah. So you're brought into this world. They say you're a boy or girl. They wrap you in a blue blanket, blanket or a pink blanket and send you on your way. And your culture tells you a lot about what it means to be male or female then. And if that all aligns for you, right? So let's say I was born and they labeled me male and they sent me off as a boy. If that aligned with how I feel like I am on the inside of who I am, then I would be considered cisgender. If I don't align with that, then there's this big umbrella term of transgender that like all these other genders can fall under. So, you know, it's everything from gender fluid, meaning like, oh, I might have a lot of masculinity and femininity within me, and I kind of flow between them. It can be non-binary, so I don't even have a gender, right? <laughs> My gender doesn't exist. It could be trans. Oftentimes, we talk a lot about trans. I think people have kind of a kind of rough understanding of what it means to be trans. The big thing for people to know is that to be trans, you just have to identify with that gender. Does it mean you have to be on hormones or take surgery as an option? Like you, you get to determine where your own transition ends. This is all different than sexuality. So sexuality is who or what you're attracted to romantically or erotically. So that could be just one gender, right? So that could be like heterosexuality is like, I'm this one gender and I'm attracted to this other gender and that's it. There could be being attracted to two genders. So that could be like bisexuality or pansexuality. Or you could be attracted to like all the genders. And when I talk about sexual orientation, I think it's important to think about things like relationship structure, right? How monogamous or more than monogamous you might be. How you might be attracted to certain activities. So you you might not really care who is dominating you. You just want to be dominated. <laughs> yes. Indifferent to what that person looks like. Yeah. But domination is fantastic. Yeah. People can be attracted to just gender representations themselves beyond the body that that gender representation is in. So some people just like masculinity. They don't care if it's like a stone butch lesbian that's dominating them or like mm -hmm. like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyone else like they, they just want it to be masculine so these worlds kind of overlap a little bit they're really different worlds to be in mm -hmm. absolutely and i think this is like the primer this is the 101 folks if you need to rewind and listen again we won't hold it against you this is this is a lot of information to take in especially if you've never been exposed to it before and you've only grown up in a culture that had one expectation of you yeah and it's, it's really wild because I think what happens for a lot of folks, I do a lot of relationship work, Erica. And so, you know, in a healthy relationship, you have a lot of security and support. So being with my husband, he's been like, hey, you're great. You're smashing it. You're awesome. So I went to grad school, got my master's and all that. But when we look at relationships, oftentimes people haven't allowed themselves to explore their sexuality or their gender fully because out the gate, they've been told this is a very narrow path where you have to be on. Yes. And it includes whoever you're supposed to be married to mm -hmm. and 2.5 children. And that is the expectation. No other deviations yeah. from that. <laughs> all, the, all the presets. Right. And oftentimes we start that life really young too. Yeah. People get married. I mean, obviously people are getting married later and later now, but like I got married when I was 23. Yeah. So what ends up happening is you get that relationship, you get all this new security with a, a partner. And from that security, you take healthy risks of exploring yourself. And then, you know, it's like, oh, sh sugar snaps. I don't know if I can cut on your... <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. Maybe I'm more fluid in my sexuality than I thought. Maybe I'm more fluid in my gender than I thought. 
and that can then challenge the relationship that like allowed that growth, that individual growth to happen. The relationship will have to expand to hold that individual growth. Or sometimes that other partner, I think, and you, I think both you and I have probably experienced this, having worked with many relationships, sometimes that partner is not there yet either. Yeah. And they don't understand it and it can cause that conflict. Sure. Or they don't understand their own arousal. Yeah. And they don't even know how to interact now with this person in front of them because when they got married or when their relationship started, they went in with a certain idea of what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Especially if you had an identity that you really worked hard to claim, right? Like me coming out was a hard coming out girl. She was, she meaning me was in the God squad for a long time. (laughs) And so to own my gayness was really wonderful. And I imagine if my husband one day said, hey, I feel like I'm more femme and I want to transition to being female, that would then make me have to deal with like, well, dang, like I worked so hard to develop this gay identity. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I went to hell and back and now now I'm straight. (laughs) What do we do now? So it it really can throw people into a lot of questioning. And a lot of, you know, our work there is just to to make a space for that stuff to be heard and help people like process it and talk through it, what these things really mean for them. So that's really an important thing for people to understand that that's our essential job. We're going to create a space and to hold these stories so that you can do it in a way that you want to and not the way that where you end up throwing items from your household at each other. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get a lot of people who are like, Adam, you know, you just want everyone to be like relationship anarchist, queer being. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, probably like a sliver of me does want that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but in reality, what I want is for people to be able to go into themselves and see what they truly want and what fits them best and to to own that and to feel like they can express that and be that. So I don't care if people are monogamous or vanilla or kinky or more than monogamous. I just care that they like go inside themselves and do right by themselves. Absolutely. Any of the therapists listen out there too, that, that I think this is so important For us to understand, especially when it comes to sexuality, holding those stories and creating that safe space isn't limited to just, you know, the divorce part of the relationship therapies we do, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is this exploration of sexual identity and who you are yeah, and allowing for it. And the power that comes from exploring your identities, your sexual orientation and your gender. I get a lot of folks who have been, you know, born femme. And the world is not very kind to femme folks, right? And so a lot of them have found like, oh, if I have a different gender identity, I get to have more power. I'm like, yeah, I get why you might then feel compelled to that. Like, so it's this ability to go like, what is truly best for me? And what does this mean? What does this look like? How do I then manifest it? I think it's important for folks to understand too that throughout your lifespan, the way that you will understand your body and your sexual arousal and all of those things will also change over time. Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's not set it and forget it. (laughs) No. I mean, I love it. I love when couples come in and they've been together forever and they're like, well, when we first got together, you're like this. And I'm like, dude, that was 15 years ago. You think that old trick's still going to work? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> right? So you get to update your, your sexual like constellations. Because I think of like our sexuality 
as a place where a lot of our exiled self goes. So let's say I'm in a job where all day I'm being told what to do. I don't get to make decisions. I kind of have to like follow all this bureaucracy. So there's a part of me that really might want to feel like I'm in control and be dominating my sexuality. And so I enjoy that for a while. But then I might get a new job where all of a sudden I get to have more control. So that could shift like my sexuality. That could make that a less appealing exploration because that needs now getting met in kind of everyday living. So that's one way that these things can like shift and change for us as people. Absolutely. I don't think people understand how connected our daily activities are to how our identities are formed. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we could, you know, we'll do a whole, you know, college class on that here today. Yeah. But, but I think that you're mentioning something that's really, really important that over time, the flexibility of how we are aroused changes. And that's super important. I, I, I'm sure you've probably read Dr. Justin Lee Miller's book, Tell Me What You Want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read that. One of the things when he talks about in, the research, in his research is that this sexual flexibility, and it's something separate and different than not only orientation and gender. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a wonderful idea so that people can understand that, oh, you grow and change all the time. Your brain loves novelty. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to change with it. And yeah. so I use like Gina Ogden's 4D wheel a lot with folks. So that looks, that breaks down sexuality into four pieces. So there's the physical, which we kind of know, the mental connection, the emotional connection, and what she would call spiritual, which I usually call just like connection itself. So that could be a connection to myself, my partner, partners, or bigger story, right? Sometimes I have sex that is so queer. I'm all like, oh, this is connecting me to all the queer people before me. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's the ability to go, oh, what might I turn myself on for in those quadrants? Where do I feel like most turned on? And maybe what am I craving to step into, right? If I'm looking to explore my sexuality, Maybe I really want some like good emotional sex. I really want to like feel like this level of being desired or connected to or what have you. Or I might really want to be physical. I might want to be really primal. I might even not even want to like have words. I just want the person to read my body in this moment. So it really takes knowing yourself and what you turn yourself on for in those, those realms and when you might turn yourself on for those things. And then how do you communicate that to the world? That was just a perfect example of how like we can – look at this in kind of a, it's much more of like a three-dimensional model yeah. rather than this kind of flat linear line. Yeah. I absolutely love it. So if, if somebody is struggling to even explore any piece of this, their, their gender identity, what they're aroused to, what do you think is that good first step? If you were to tell the folks out there, like where to begin day one. So I think the first thing is to realize that like sexual shame Shame about your gender or sexuality is put into you as a, a form of managing you, controlling you by the outside Preach. world. So <laughs> <laughs> if you find that you have judgments come up within yourself, you know, I encourage people just to practice curiosity, self-compassion, and understanding. So just being like, oh, I wonder whose voice this is. <laughs> And looking at this, this was a survival skill, right? So I knew I was too fabulous long before I came out. And that my fabulousness would challenge love, support, my family, like being there for me. So to, to manage that, that conflict as a kid, I had to like shame and divorce my gender queerness, my attraction to men, and 
put on what I thought was expected. So I did had all these conditions of worth, right? So I had to then go out and perform. And what is really terrible about that is I could do all these things to perform and get accolades. I was really good at school. I was really good in church. But none of that shit really mattered because it wasn't for me. It was for the person I was pretending I was being. It is that mask, that performance. Yeah. I think that's an excellent way to characterize it. And I had all this unresolved shame over here on the side. So, you know, what ends up happening for us as people, as we get more resources, we have money, friends, people outside of our family network, we then can can look at some of the, the ways that we manage this conflict and decide what to do with it. So for me, I said, oh, that shame helped me survive as a child, but I don't need that shame now because I have an ability to take care of myself. Now, what I find, I you know, I'm, I'm from a conservative state, Texas. Austin is this like little liberal place, which is great. And we get a lot of folks who come in and are like, oh, I can finally be me, right? And so they finally can like have sex with someone that they've wanted to have had sex with. They can finally express their gender in a way that feels more true to who they are. But then there's also the unresolved work that sometimes they don't know they have to do or want to do. And that can really come out sideways, right? So I can't tell many people here, I want to talk about intersectionality for a bit. So I work with a lot of queer men of color who are like, oh, Adam, I can like get fucked in Austin, but ain't none of them going to take me home. None of them are going to take me back to West Texas because that will challenge that system too much. Like the system let that person be gay and white, but you know, Lord have mercy if you bring home someone of color. So <laughs> there's this unresolved shame and like trying to connect and hold on to the family system. So I, I think of like that kind of family system is giving like the veneer of support. Like you, you can be you just don't make us like sweat. <laughs> Right. Like, we'll just watch from over here. Yeah, We're not going to actually have a conversation with you about it. And the burden is on the the marginalized person to maintain that relationship. So like, I have an older brother, love him to death. He's great. He's very supportive. He came out to his first visit to Texas. And before he came out, I had to say, you know, Josh, just so you know, like, my husband and I, we're more than monogamous. So you might see us interact with people in really intimate ways. And that is normal to us. But it might be really different for you because you're used to monogamy. And he was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. No, I'm cool, dude. I'm cool. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I went to like work one morning. And like, when I came back, my husband was like, oh, yeah, your brother totally asked me a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that work? Yeah. How do I do Are you guys okay? Work? Is everything all right? You know, all the questions you get when you're more than monogamous. So. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm sure the questions around the assumptions around that too. Yes. Like, does that mean, oh, that just means like you want to have your cake and eat it too. I can't tell you how many of my poly folks hear that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, people, <laughs> one, I'm a responsible hedonist. So I think people move from pain unless pain's your pleasure and then towards pleasure. So like, I'm not going to shame people for that. And I think we all get our needs met in multiple ways. It's just people who are more than monogamous say, oh, we can maybe have our romantic or erotic needs met outside of this one person. But, you know, if you have a group of friends that you go hang out with, they're giving you emotional and mental support and connection beyond your partnership. So, exactly, you know, it's just not discussed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's something I think we as a culture ignore in a lot of our world is that intimacy is complex. Yeah. And that it is across all of our relationships work relationships, friendships, any of our romantic partners, our family relationships all have some sort of intimacy. Yeah. Now you want me to get on my soapbox for a minute here, Erica? Oh yes, do it. I'm <laughs> so, ready. So uh, 
there's a part of me that feels so bad for bro dudes. Like, because I was raised pro dude. So oftentimes they're taught in our culture that the only intimacy you can truly have is with a woman after sex. Oh my gosh, yes. And that's where all of their emotional, the person who identifies as female has to hold all of that for them. Yeah. And then we like shame dudes for wanting to have sex. I'm like, oh my God, these dudes are like intimacy starved. Of course they want to have sex because it's the only way they can maybe be vulnerable. They can like step out of like being these stoic statues and be human. Ugh, sorry. No apologies. I think that is one of the important pieces of understanding how sexual shame works on every part of us. Yeah. And how those expectations harm us. Yeah. And I, I think, unfortunately, that contributes to a lot of issues in our culture today with things like consent and like this whole idea of like being a fuck boy. I'm like, well, we don't necessarily make it okay for people to just to say what they want, right? You remember like Aziz had that date story that came out where he like, you know, it was all this like essentially miscommunication. And I was just like, man, if y'all would like take some of these concepts from kink like soft boundaries, hard boundaries, and been explicit about what you want, this evening would have been really different for everyone. (laughs) Exactly. This could take us an entirely different direction, but I think it's important to mention. I think online like interactions Mm -hmm. have also increased this miscommunication issue because we didn't have the skills before and now we don't have the body language to even judge what's happening in the conversation. Yeah. Or in taking like a group of people, if you're raised to if you're raised as like male in our culture, we don't necessarily teach you to be like community oriented. (laughs) It's like, oh, you taught this person to be super independent and you're wondering why they don't know how to cater to someone else's needs. It's, it's pretty obvious. You taught them to be like focused on their own self and what they want and what they're about. You haven't taught them how to check in and how to, to be more communal. You put all that burden on femme folks. And yeah, it creates these really sticky situations. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so tickled that you have come to visit us today. <laughs> I am just so tickled. So how do folks find you in the world? Oh my gosh. What do you got going on? Tell me all the things. Yeah. So I do a lot of things. Uh, The easiest is to follow me on Instagram. It's moon. I'm a fan. Yeah. Moon (laughs) tower underscore counseling. I also have my website, moon tower counseling, which gives you just some of the basics of who I am. The big thing I have going on is I have a lot of spring workshops, workshops happening. So I'll be at the national sex ed conference which is in Newark, New Jersey. That's, I guess, my impression of a New Jersey accent. (laughs) So I'll be presenting there on April 5th. And then here in Austin, we have the Contemporary Relationships Conference, May 3rd and 4th. And I'm one of, like, the flash speakers. They have me doing, like, a 20-minute presentation on the main stage. So That's awesome. I know. It's going to be good. I'm just going to give a shout out to your Instagram. Adam has an amazing golden girl shirt that I have been um, lusting after. So any of, <laughs> any of you out there, I encourage you to follow Adam anywhere and everywhere. So Austin is where that contemporary relationships conference is going to be. Yeah. It's put on like the founders, Jeff Lutz. He's a therapist who's been in Austin for a while. He has a podcast called Q marriage mentors, which my husband and I did and talked about opening our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, he's good people. He's solid. I love him to death. 
That's fantastic. I'm going to look that up because Austin's not all that far from us in Florida. That'd be a quick flight. Yes. So I think that would be a lot of fun, especially to see you speak. Woohoo! What's your website? Oh, moontowercounseling.com. Fantastic. Thank you again for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you, folks. Stick through to the end. Everything, all the information you, you heard here today will be in the show notes. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. That helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.